When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. It is the best club in the world. Don't care what other people do. It's our understanding that Liverpool's owners, Fenway Sports Group, have put the club up for sale. It's believed they've distributed a full sales presentation to interested parties. So, is Liverpool Football Club up for sale? We'll hear from David Ornstein, who broke the story very shortly. It's another head-to-head between two European giants as Liverpool and Real Madrid meet yet again on the road to Istanbul. And the Reds dig deep to secure their first away win of the season with big showings from Salah and Canate. How crucial that victory. Of course, only one story dominating Liverpool as we start recording this pod. I'm Steve Hothersall. FSG puts Liverpool up for sale. That's the title of the article uh, written by David Ornstein, who broke the news. Before we get to James Pearce and Ollie Kay, let's hear from David Ornstein on that piece. We have broken a massive story as our understanding that Liverpool's owners, Fenway Sports Group, have put the club up for sale. It's believed they've distributed a full sales presentation to interested parties and also contracted the services of the banks Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan to assist in what they describe as an evaluation process. That means it's not clear if a deal is going to be done or that this is merely an exploratory exercise and a testing of the water. We'll have to wait and see on that front. But they have released a statement to us admitting that under the right terms and conditions, they would consider new shareholders if it was in the best interest of Liverpool. And in the meantime, they have reiterated their commitment to the club on and off the pitch. This is a fascinating situation that we're going to keep you fully abreast of across the Athletic for the days, weeks, months and maybe even years ahead. Okay, big one to break. Uh, Let's get to the guys on it. James, what's your first thoughts on the news? Yeah, it's a big story, Steve. Obviously, FSG have have owned Liverpool Football Club for the last 12 years and I think we all knew that it was a business investment from them and one in which has been a very successful one in terms of the value of the of the club absolutely rocketing from what was it 300 million pound they paid for it in 2010 and now you're talking about an asset probably worth between 3 and 4 billion pounds so um so yeah I think the the question has always been when when would be the time that they decided to get out and um yeah it, it looks like you know, it's been obviously lots of talk over the years in terms of interest and um, talk of minority investment and selling a small stake in the club. But now it looks like you know they are serious about considering uh, offers for a um, a complete takeover. You know, we know that the full sales presentation has been produced for interested parties, and and now it will be fascinating to see what does happen in terms of of interest because. Um, yeah, I certainly don't think there'll be a shortage of it. We've all read through the FSG statement that was given to David. I think the key part says they've regularly received interest and FSG has said before that under the right circumstances, we'd consider new shareholders if that was in the best interest of the club. Ollie, what do you read into that? 
knowing the the strength of of David's information and um, and the inquiries that he'd made and speaking to multiple sources, it seemed to me like FSG were keen to try to water down the situation publicly at least. I mean, if we go back to 2018 and th- there were a lot of stories about um, a potential bid for, for Liverpool from, from the Middle East. And I remember, well, I'm reading it now, the statement from the club at the time said, FSG have been clear and consistent. The club is not for sale. That's not what the club are saying now. The club are emphasising that, yes, there has been a long-term openness to um, taking on minority investments or, or whatever, but it seems pretty clear to me that, you know, that things have changed significantly since 2018 and that, and that there is a willingness to actively seek offers, uh, whether it's for a minority stake or, or not. You know, the fact there is a sales document out there to put to potential buyers, that's a very different process to just sort of saying you're, you would do things at the right price. It suggests that there's more of an active approach from FSG rather than just being sort of passively seeing what might come in. Everything is pointing in a, in a certain direction. There will be an awful lot of speculation, James, as to what it means or timeframes around all this. And I mean, we have to speculate to some extent. What? Why do you think FSG and John W. Henry are making this decision now? <laughs> I think the honest answer is it's unclear why why now specifically. You know, because you could say, is it really the best time to be trying to sell an asset like this, given the the global economic situation and and everything else although you know i guess i guess if you're you know the kind of money that's going to take to buy liverpool you know obviously you're only talking about very few people with those kind of riches anyway maybe maybe they aren't too too badly affected by the the global situation but i think you'd have to you'd have to throw into the mix you know things like ffp and the you know the the kind of when they bought liverpool it was always whether they would that was the big attraction for them, that financial fair play was coming in, that it was all going to be about the clubs that could generate the most, then could spend the most. And it wasn't about, you know, being owned by a by a nation state or, you know, having a, a very rich benefactor that was going to plough money in. And we know they've been massively frustrated by the failure to, you know, to put those you know, rules in, into practice properly. You know, you only have to look at John W. Henry's support for things like Project Big Picture and, and the European Super League to know that they wanted greater revenue streams and guaranteed revenue streams. And, and, and I think also, you know, I'm sure they look at it and think they've enjoyed great success with Liverpool. But I think anyone would, would agree watching the first few months of this season that this is a squad that's going to be in need of some major, major investment over the next couple of years to to build another great team and really have they have they really got you know probably one the desire and two the finances to to throw at it and and make that a reality so yeah i think you know when when you look at what they bought it for and what it's worth now you know it's it's not a great surprise is it that they're they're now looking around for for offers and i, and I think obviously you know we're now at that situation where you You've got no idea, you know. We, we, you know, how quickly things might move on. I think depends what what comes in their direction. We've been here before previously in terms of whether it was from the Middle East or from China or from the States. Consortiums coming in and showing interest, but it hasn't come to anything previously. But I think this this does feel different this time around. 
The figures, of course, for what it was bought for in 2010, £300 million or, or around that. Now, given that Chelsea was just sold to the American Todd Bowley for £4.25 billion, and I'm not sure quite how you'd sort of uh, equate or put that alongside Liverpool, but clearly the, there is a, a gigantic profit at stake, Ollie. Yeah, I, th- I think um, I think that figure that's used for Chelsea, I think it's sort of um, it's not the full picture. I think I think the, the sale price for the club was I think about two point five for the club itself, but it's it's still a pretty significant amount of money, and it's and it rules out almost everybody on the planet. Really, <laughs> um, it's a situation where you know when when a club is only open to the mega rich. It's just such an enormous amount of money that you're not really going to be able to pick and choose your your owner. And and I think the interesting thing I think is that you know over the last 10, 20 years we've seen a lot of money coming from from China into the Premier League, money from Russia and the Middle East and America. And right now the you know Russia Russia seems to be off off the table for for reasons uh, that are obvious. China, I think the Chinese economy is such that we're not going to see any. Um, or it would surprise me if there are any serious bids from China. And the Middle East, yes, there are possibilities, but this is Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia's planted its flag at Newcastle, Abu Dhabi at Manchester City. You know, maybe one of the other Emirates could get involved. But I, I think most realistically, you're looking at America again. And Liverpool fans, I don't know what they would think of the idea of a third American owner. Hicks and Gillette were... A complete disaster, as the Glazers have been at Manchester United, as other American owners haven't been great for certain clubs. FSG, look, I'm not the biggest fans of everything they do. I vehemently disagree with them over Super League and Project Big Picture and some of the things that they've done at a more local level. But I think we'd have to agree that they've been positive for Liverpool. I think most fans, you know, you often see FSG out trending on, on Twitter any time Liverpool lose a match or any time the transfer window's open and Liverpool haven't signed a player that day. But I would guess a lot of fans would suddenly be thinking, right, well, maybe they're not the dream owners, but there are probably an awful lot worse. So, you know, I, I, I could imagine a lot of fans thinking, well, they would rather stick than, than twist. Um, so it's a, it's a, it's an interesting situation. So, you know, it's a fascinating situation about about where it goes next. And of course, as David Ornstein says, um, at the end of the piece, the little piece you just heard, it could be weeks, months, years, who, who knows? James, just a final thought. Is it fine to be a custodian? And obviously FSG have had a whole load of success in the years they've been at the football club. Is it fine to be a custodian, but not to have that emotional attachment to view it as a, as a more of a, the business proposition? Well, yeah, I, I think that's just the reality of modern football, isn't it? I think, I think unfortunately, the days where you know you would you would have an owner who, you know, who had the the club at the absolute heart of, of everything that he, he decided that was immersed in the community is is probably unrealistic. Being a, a local millionaire is no longer enough, isn't it? You need to be a a billionaire. You know that was what you know ultimately led to David Moore's selling up to, to Hicks and Gillette in the first place because he couldn't take Liverpool where they needed to go. So, yeah, I think um, it's just going to be intriguing to see what comes up. And you know, I think there has to be a degree of caution because FSG have certainly made mistakes along the way, as Oli touched on before. But, you know, you'd, you'd have to say when you look at you know where Liverpool were as a club when they took over and where they are now and 
not just the success on the field and you know the appointment of Klopp and Michael Edwards and everything else on that front, but you know what they've done in terms of the infrastructure with the stadium, with the new Anfield uh, road stand going up after obviously the main stand before that and the new training complex. You know there has been a lot a lot to admire, and of course you know Jurgen Klopp himself has been outspoken about you know nation states owning clubs and the dubious morals and human rights records and. So I don't think anyone wants Liverpool to go down that route. So um, so yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty on the back of today's news, and yeah, it's well, no one no one really knows how you know how where things are going to go from here. Right, the story was broken by David Ornstein. Uh, his piece is on the Athletic right now. FSG puts Liverpool up for sale. Liverpool FC. This time it's Liverpool FC. Let's see. Who will face Liverpool in their sixth successive season in the knockout phase of Champions League? Real Madrid. Okay, let's have a look at the Champions League draw for the knockout stages. And, um, well, was it written in the stars? Liverpool and Real Madrid get the opportunity to face off once again, fourth time in six seasons. Perhaps no surprise, James. Yeah, mixed emotions, really. I think from a footballing perspective, I think obviously Porto or Benfica would have been, would have been preferable. Bayern Munich would have been fascinating as well with the reunion with Sadio Mane. I think footballing-wise, it's probably the the toughest Liverpool have got. Yeah, I, I quite like it. You know, there's a score to settle there and it is two absolutely mouth-watering games. You know, when you think back to that that night in May, the kind of the impact of that defeat in Paris that, that has lingered on op- through these opening months of the season, really, and the way that Liverpool just ran out of gas that night and also came up against... a a goalkeeper enjoying the game of his life in Thibaut Courtois. So yeah, I think revenge will be a, a word that gets uttered a lot in the build-up to that that first leg at Anfield in, in February. Liverpool haven't beaten Real Madrid in the last six meetings. You have to go back to that, that famous 4-0 win under Rafa Benitez at Anfield in 2009 for the last time they actually put one over Real Madrid. So um, yeah, when you think of the two final defeats since, you know those chastening group stage defeats... Under Brendan Rodgers, you think of that dismal night at the Bernabeu when he fielded a, a weakened team and even that quarter-final defeat under Klopp, what was that, uh, two seasons ago when you know it was behind closed doors and Liverpool had no centre-halves. It was, it was just miserable, wasn't it? And these will be two very, very different contests. It's a long way away, but it's something to look forward to. Ollie, we spoke last week on the pod about the fact that, you know, if Liverpool draw Porto, they've got the sign over them. Real Madrid might be saying that about having drawn Liverpool, but actually revenge is the key here. Yeah, if you go back to the um, the final in, in May, it felt like, I remember talking probably to this podcast and others in the build-up to that game and feeling it was a 50-50 game and, you know, it's very hard to call. And, you know, perhaps if anything, Liverpool's slight favourites based on the way they performed over the course of the season. I thought Liverpool played really well. I thought they played it better in that final that they lost than in some of the finals that, they, that they've that they won over the years. I thought they were hard done by it. There will be a score to settle, but it feels as if, at the moment, after the way the season started, it feels like Real will be strong favourites. It's Liverpool will have to... Um, sort of overturn the odds this time. I, I don't think many people will be saying it's 50-50. You'd much prefer it over the two legs though, wouldn't you, Ollie? More than a one-off game? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. I think so. I don't know, really. I mean, it's, it, I think Liverpool will, will, will look at that first leg at Anfield and think, you know, this is this is the opportunity to really go in, go for the juggler, hit, hit them hard. I mean, we've seen, we've seen what 
Real Madrid can do. Real Madrid have the same sense of inevitability about them when they're playing at home in, in, in the Champions League as, as Liverpool do. I, I was at the game against Chelsea, the quarterfinal second leg in Madrid last season, and Real were terrible. You know, really terrible. Look down and out. They, they'd gone with a really significant lead. It was at 3-1 and, and were then 2-0 down and 3-0 down. And, and they were lucky to make it into extra time. But then it just felt like it's the kind of emotion and, and, and feeling that you get around a big Liverpool Champions League night at Anfield where it just feels inevitable. So that it's two clubs that draw heavily on the history, on, on the, the feeling they have for the Champions League and the emotion and the, the belief it's just that, unfortunately, Rail's tradition is even stronger, isn't it? And, and, and their recent history is, is stronger as well. Another th- weird thing is that I think it was Florentino Perez was talking, you know, he's, when he was trying to um, defend his appalling Super League idea. He was saying recently how, how rarely Liverpool have played with Real Madrid over the years, which is, which is true. They'd, they'd only played once, once before 2009, but... Uh, you know, this is the, this is the third consecutive season, won't it? So it's um, it, it's it's one of those fixtures we're, we're becoming used to. So for the English clubs, this is how it stacks up: Borussia Dortmund, Chelsea, Milan, AC Milan against Tottenham, and of course RB Leipzig against Manchester City. How do you think it all stacks up, James? Yeah, I mean, Chelsea obviously are a, a difficult one to get your head around at the moment, aren't you? Aren't they with? Some of their their recent results, so you know that's a that's a tricky draw for them against against Dortmund. I mean, you'd, you'd fully expect City to get through. I, I can't see them having too many issues against against Leipzig and Milan against Tottenham. I think is is quite a tough one to call because again, you know, as we saw at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium on Sunday, Conte's side have have got issues at the minute. But these games are so far off, aren't they? We, we, you, you know, so much can change between. Between now and then, Klopp will certainly hope that Liverpool will be in a lot better shape come the middle of February. I don't think, I don't think Liverpool could possibly beat Real Madrid over two legs at the moment because they're just far too open, and I think they'd get picked off against a team that are still unbeaten in the Liga. But um, you'd like to think come the middle of February after that second pre-season, you know, the training camp they've got in Dubai in December, and players having a proper break, and Diaz and hopefully Jota being back by then, and probably Matip and who knows, maybe even a new face as well from the January window, that Liverpool will be capable of uh, of, of producing the business. But um, I think some people will say, well, you know, could have been a hell of a lot easier, but it's what you want, isn't it? You want, you want massive games, you want big occasions, and it Liverpool have certainly got that with that draw. Uh, hopefully by February they'll have a string of uh, of results that they've put together so they've got two wins back to back now uh, Tottenham away of course victory for the Reds their first away win in the Premier League this season didn't manage it Ollie at the Emirates Old Trafford Goodison Craven Cottage the City Ground finally it's come yeah and it was it was a I mean it was a strange performance in some ways because you know we've seen Liverpool slow start us off and this season but that was a really really assured impressive assertive start um, the first half hour they were very very good obviously got the second goal before half time maybe slightly against the run of play by then but then they were just left clinging on and for much of the second half I was thinking well Spurs are going to score here and it's a case of whether Spurs score their second goal early enough to get a third or whether or whether it ends up 2-2 I just thought it was real one-way traffic and for much of the second half and you saw just the nature of Liverpool substitutions I mean it was very much, you know, Joe Gomez on and even replacing Nunez and Salah, it was absolute backs to the wall and, and it wasn't always convincing. But I just think 
in terms of being a bit more dogged, I thought I thought that was a bit more like it from Liverpool. I thought Canate played really well. You know, we've we've praised Joe Gomez a few weeks ago for his performance against Man City, which was extremely good. But I, I just think in terms of recovery, and recovery has been really important on that right hand side. I think Canate just gives you an extra layer, and I thought he was probably Liverpool's best player on the day, along with Salah, of course. He's been excellent, hasn't he? In the, in the two games he's, he started, and Liverpool have, have massively missed him this season. You've written about Canate after the game yesterday, so Canate epitomises the resilience Liverpool have been missing, James. And I, th- I think you make the point in your article that while all the focus has been on the midfield, not that much has been made of the fact that they've missed this giant of a defender who's got so many great qualities around him. Yeah, uh, 100%. I couldn't believe, actually, when I was looking back over the stats last night, He's only suffered one one defeat in um, twenty nine starts for Liverpool in all competitions, and of course that was the that was the Champions League final against Real Madrid in in Paris. And I think I think yeah I think it probably has been overlooked with so much focus on what's been going wrong in other areas that that this big commanding young centre half who just kept growing and growing in stature during his first year at the club. When you think he didn't get a game, did he? For I think for the first month of last season. And, you know, he had to be patient, you know, as we've seen with a number of signings under Klopp, you know, they have to they have to show to him that they can make the, you know, the, the adaptation on the training pitch before we fully trust them in game situations. But he certainly did that, you know, in the second half of last season, he was quite rightly getting picked consistently ahead of Matip and Gomez. And um, just really unfortunate for him that, you know, to get hurt like he did in, on the, you know, the last preseason friendly against Strasbourg and Anfield at the very back end of July, and then to come back and, and to get hurt again against Rangers, yeah, you know, to have not started a Premier League game before before November would have been tough for him to take, especially with the World Cup coming up and being desperate to try and uh, impress the uh, the French national team coach. So I just think he's got an overall package that probably neither Matip nor nor Gomez can have. I think they're both top quality defenders in their own right. But I, I think you look at Canate and you think, well, he's quick. You know, he's he's ideally able to to play in that high line. He looks comfortable. Um, you know, he's strong. He's powerful. I loved, you know, how he stood up to the physical challenge on Sunday. And that, you know, that aerial dominance, which is so useful, you know, in at both ends of the pitch. You know, he showed that with some of the goals he scored for Liverpool towards the back end of the last season. Yeah, I thought I thought when Liverpool were really, really under the cosh second half, he just always seemed to be there in the right place at the right time, sensing danger and, and dealing with it. And you know, even even in the first half, I thought you know when Trent Alexander Arnold had a, another difficult day defensively, you know he, he kept getting Trent out of jail as well with the, his ability to to cover space quickly and, and and come across and and deal with that. And then yeah, he he just got better and better. I thought as the game wore on and. You know, by far and away, that was a man of the match performance for him. I mean, ultimately, you can't really underestimate how important it is now to just keep him fit, Ollie, and keep him present in the side. Yeah, I mean, it's um, we all know that you know, the backup options are good, not just Matip and Gomez, but you know, Nat Phillips. It's a really, it's a really strong central defensive department. The issue has been having more than two of them fit at any one time this season, and obviously. A couple of years ago, the, the issue was get, having even one of them fit at any time. Obviously, when you've got injuries, you're more at risk of more injuries because people are having to overplay. And I think that's what we've seen with Liverpool for much of the season in, in, in other positions. But I think if, they, if they've got Canate fit and if they're able to sort of rotate that position so that 
you know, sometimes he gets a rest and sometimes it's Matip, sometimes it's Gomez, sometimes, you know, maybe Nat Phillips gets a game in, in midweek against um, Derby in the League Cup. But to me, it's important that he stays fit, but also that the others stay fit and, and that there's there's real depth rather than Klopp constantly feeling he's putting players in who are at risk of picking up an injury. I think that's been the problem this season, one injury leading to another, really. We're sponsored for this episode of Walk On by LinkedIn, so it's only right that we crowbar in a reference to Liverpool's super slick recruitment process while we talk them up. Because when you're hiring for your small business, you want to find quality professionals that are right for the role. And that's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs has the tools to help find the right professionals for your team faster and for free. LinkedIn isn't just another job board. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like Arnie Slot, probably. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. In fact, on LinkedIn, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. So hire professionals like a professional on LinkedIn. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash walk. That's L-I-N-K-E-D-I-N dot com slash walk to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Here's Andrew Robertson for Liverpool. And Darwin Nunez on the turn. And Salah! Brilliant goal for Liverpool. Mohamed Salah is in a really hot streak right now in front of goal. Short from Dyer, And here's Salah. He's got one. Make that two. It's a horrible error by Eric Dyer. And of all the people to gift the ball to in front of goal, he's only gone and given it to Mohamed Salah. At the back then, Canate, brilliant. Alisson as well, making a string of saves from difficult crosses, wasn't he? But up front, you've got Salah looking absolutely deadly again. Brimming with confidence once more, James. Those goals were crackers. The first one, that how quick he used his feet to dispatch that first goal. Yeah, two two finishes of the absolute highest quality, weren't they? It was a great move, the first one. Um, you know, Roberts' ball in, and I think you've got to give Nunes a lot of credit. I thought I thought he was great on Sunday, Nunes. It was interesting watching Klopp and Linders, you know, barking orders at him, you know, repeatedly because I think they they clearly targeted that space kind of outside of Eric Dyer in in behind Emerson Royal. There's something they could they could get at with. With Nunes's pace and power, and um, yeah, he certainly did that. And he his movement was really intelligent. I thought in terms of creating space for others as well, especially Robertson down that flank. Yeah, really unselfish to pick out Salah like he did, and as you said, the way in which he sorted his feet out, the, the first touch was absolutely perfect. And you know, Larice didn't even move, did he? There was no point because it was so clinical. And then yeah, the second one. I know it's it's obviously a horrendous mistake from Dyer after Allison's pumped downfield. But um, it's like the Salah of last season, isn't it? It's a similar time of year, actually, isn't it? Till, you know, this, this time last year, it was when the debate was raging about, you know, is he now the best player in world football? And he just kept on scoring and scoring and scoring, didn't he? And he's, and he's, had a, he's in a similar, you know, rich vein of form at the moment because that was a, you know, such a, such a nice dinked finish. To give Liverpool breathing space, yeah, it doesn't feel like that long ago, was it? That we were talking about him being too isolated, wide, wide on the right, and um, and him kind of almost being wasted a bit, you know, in in the setup that Liverpool were playing, which I think was a very fair point at the time because, you know, I think back to the Merseyside derby at Goodison, and it, you know, it, it felt like he was a, you know, he might as well have taken a seat in the stand. He saw so little of the ball at times, and and I think you can see that's something that Klopp and Linders. Of addressed because 
well, you only have to look at where he was to score his goals yesterday. You know, much more central in in those pockets of space where he can really hurt teams because you don't want to see him clinging to the right touchline and waiting for the ball to come to him because you know he he might be a a kind of a, a winger in name, but he's never been a a traditional winger in the you know the old fashioned sense for Liverpool and you know you you want to see him cutting inside and terrorizing defenses and and he's certainly certainly doing that i mean he's he's probably one of the few that's probably you know not not looking forward to the world cup break because um you know i think when you're in that streak that he's on at the minute you just want the games to keep coming what he is is that big game man though isn't he and you know a game you have to win you have to step up bring on the number one the main man there he is. He seems to thrive on that. It was such an important game against Spurs, Ollie. Yeah, it was. But he's the man for the big game. But he's also the man for. I mean, when he's in the mood, you can almost see it in his movement. It's just slightly different. He just seems to. He seems to be quicker, but have more time. As contradictory as that might sound, and he just looks so assured in everything he does. And I think when when he's in that mood, it doesn't matter whether it's a big game a small game, uh, you know, run-of-the-mill league game. He, he just looks like he's going to score. That wasn't the case six weeks ago. He didn't He didn't look like he was, he was going to score. I, I think that game at Ibrox and coming off the bench and scoring that hat-trick, you could see the, you could just see the confidence returning to his finishing and just in, in that brief cameo and, what was it, three goals in six minutes. I think that has changed. That has just led to something clicking again and he now looks like the real Mo Salah, probably for the first time since... You know, last January, he's looked. You know, he's looked like the best player in the league again the the last few weeks, which certainly wasn't the case the first couple of months of the season. So that is a real positive. And I would also say, I don't know whether you, we're coming to this, but I, I would say Darwin Nunez looks better with each game. Pretty much, not necessarily the the most comfortable fit all of the time, but I think you can see him linking up with the others better. You can see him playing. You know, sometimes so, solo runs that have a real purpose. And thought behind them and I just think it's beginning to click with him I thought he was very good not necessarily threatening to score all the time but I, I just thought he looked really direct purposeful and and like everything was starting to work a lot better around him which I think has been the case the last few weeks anyway yeah he, he looks more and more at home doesn't he James you mentioned it a little bit earlier on he's, he, he's definitely thriving wearing the shirt yeah I, I, I really like him I know it's funny, actually, I you know, speak to some Liverpool fans who, who still aren't remotely convinced, but um, I, what I like about Nunes, he, he makes things happen. There's very rarely 10 or 15 minutes goes past in a game where you don't you don't notice him out there. And yeah, not, not everything comes off. And you know, there was one time yesterday when, you know, as a habit, sometimes they're giving away stupid free kicks and trying to win balls that you think you know, you're never ever going to get. Just you know, don't foul him don't, you know, and gives the free kick away and alleviates pressure and you know sometimes his touch lets him down but I think I, I don't understand the kind of obsession with some of the things he doesn't do well because I think there's so much that he does do well and that he's getting better and better and I think you can see that he feels like he belongs at Liverpool now and um, he's had to adjust and as Ollie said it's still you know probably still not a perfect fit in terms of you know I don't think we'd be seeing him on the left of a front three if if Luis Diaz was fit of course you know no Jota as well means that, that that is a bit of a problem area at the moment. But I thought defensively as well, he you know, he did he put a proper proper shift in and you could you could see that Klopp and Linders were, were delighted with him in terms of the the way that he helped to take the pressure off at times. 
by keeping the ball. And, you know, he, he is just a menace, isn't he, in terms of creating chaos in opposition defences, the way he puts himself about. And I think that understanding of Salah seems to be growing and growing. He'll obviously go off to the World Cup and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if he's one of the stars of the tournament because um, he's certainly got, got all the credentials to, to, to light it up. The win as a whole seems pretty big in Liverpool's season, doesn't it? I mean, defeat, and you'd have been wondering if they could really make those top four places. But there was this was three points that put them within seven of fourth place, which which is Spurs, Ollie. Yeah, the table is... There have been times this season where you thought, God, you know, Liverpool are still within striking distance of, you know, third and fourth place, despite having been slow out of the blocks. I think that that feeling slightly faded after those two sort of chronic defeats against um, Forest and Leeds, and it suddenly looked like a really big gap to make up. But you look at it now, what, seven points behind Spurs with the game in hand, four points behind Man United. It's not insurmountable by any means. It's just a question of Liverpool showing and finding real consistency. If you look at the, if you look at the last month, say, since, the, since that defeat at Arsenal, which was a bit of a crushing blow at the time, it's six wins out of eight. And there have been all kinds of wins in that period. You know, the 7-1 at Rangers, the 1-0 against Man City, 3-0 at Ajax, you know, beating Napoli, beating Spurs. It's just that the two they didn't win in that that run, that eight-game run, were such terrible defeats at home to, you know, what were at the time the two worst teams in in the division. Those defeats have come at a real cost and have really sort of stopped Liverpool building up any real momentum. But six wins out of eight is not a bad... That's you know, including Champions League games as well. It's the sign of a team that's moving in the right direction. I guess it's, I guess you call it two steps forward, one step back. And I do know that it's been the one of the last two. But no, you, you look at Derby in the League Cup and on, on Wednesday, and and Southampton who have just sacked their manager. I don't know whether they'll have a new one in place. Nathan Jones, it looks like potentially by the weekend. But it looks like Liverpool have got what it takes to. You know, they, they should win that on Saturday, and they should go into the. World Cup break an awful lot closer to the the top four than they were um, you know, a week or two ago. And I just felt James watching Jurgen after the game. He just looked a lot more content with himself, a bit more positive. Did the fist pumps, didn't he, for the away fans? <laughs> yeah, he was. It was funny afterwards when he was asked about that, and he said, I, "He said I didn't mean to. Uh, I, you know, I didn't want to do it. I just got carried away because I think I think he's <laughs> he hasn't been doing it, has he? For even after games in the last few months, because I think he feels a little bit embarrassed about you know kind of." There's nothing to celebrate at the minute when you look at that Premier League table, and you know he's right, really. When even even looking at it last night, and you think, well, still seven points off fourth. You know, it's you know, imagine what imagine how bad it would have looked if if Liverpool had had wilted and ended up drawing or losing that game. But it did feel big, you know, especially you know as you touched upon at the start, Steve. You know, the away form has been absolutely appalling. You know, two points out of fifteen before before Sunday, and I think if that had dragged on into you know 2023 it just becomes another one of those kind of like negative talking points doesn't it you know you could have had a situation where you're in January and Liverpool still have a Premier League away win to their belt you know all season and and I think as well because you know they, they've they've lost games in some stupid ways you know you look you think you have to look back to that Leeds defeat a week earlier so it did feel big just to cling on like that because I you know I'd be lying to you if I thought you know this is all right. Liverpool will see this out. I, you know, it, it, to me, it had all the hallmarks of a of a late Spurs equaliser because Liverpool didn't seem to be able to keep hold of the ball. They couldn't take the sting out of it. You know, Spurs kept on coming and coming, and 
was a de- degree of good fortune, but there was also some real grit and desire and resilience there, which I think does bode well going forward. So, um, yeah, to, to go to a place like that and win in that fashion, um, I'm not surprised by that outpouring of emotion from Klopp because, of course, he's been feeling the pressure because, as, you know, it's as much as, you know, it, yeah, progress in the Champions League is great. I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool were expected to get out of that group. It wasn't it wasn't really much of an achievement to finish above Rangers and Ajax. So it's the biggest issue has been addressing this league form. And um, yeah, it just, it just felt like a big step in the right direction. And yes, you could pick plenty of holes in that performance, you know, especially how they lost their way second half. But I, I just think with, with the way that Liverpool are at the minute, it would have been unrealistic to expect much more. I think it's about scrapping and fighting and getting through to the World Cup as best as you possibly can and then regrouping so yeah I think that was why we saw Klopp's emotion coming to the fore like it did in front of the away end and you can read uh, James's piece after that Spurs victory it's on the Athletic now Canati epitomises the resilience Liverpool have been missing Uh, there's also stuff on the Champions League draw the Liverpool Real Madrid head to head and the big story as well, which David Ornstein has broken. FSG puts Liverpool up for sale. You can read the article uh, right now online. And of course, if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, uh, you can get a special offer of a pound a month for six months. Head to theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. Pound a month for six months at theathletic.com forward slash Liverpool pod. My thanks to Ollie and to James. Thank you for listening to The Red Agenda. And we'll catch up with you later in the week. See you then.